The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Today, we're discussing The Rings of Power, Episode 8, titled Alloyed. I'm Thomas Senhro, and joining me today are Caitlin Fascista. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, how's it going? It's going all right. Thomas Salerno. Hi, Thomas. Hey there, Thomas. And Jeff Hecker. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Jeff. So uh, before we get started tonight, uh, I just wanted to talk about the future of this panel and the podcast. Uh, if you're worried that after this episode, we might just disappear for an age. Don't fret. We're planning on talking a lot more Tolkien uh, while we wait for season two. We will, however, be, move, be moving to a bit more of a relaxed schedule. So our next episode is going to be coming out one month from now. We'll have had some time to digest the season and collectively we'll talk about our hopes and expectations for the middle verse going forward. Uh, also, if there are any topics that you would like to hear uh, our opinions on, please find us on social media at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, on Twitter where we're at SQPN, or on Instagram where we're at StarQuest Network. And drop us a line, let us know uh, what kind of things you would like us to talk about. And I say middle verse because I'm like, I don't know what to call it. I don't want to call it Tolkien verse because it's not really <laughs> like, you know, I, I think that's the thing we've all realized is that it's it's not strictly speaking Tolkien verse anymore. It's, and it's not but it's not really Jackson verse either. So I'm like, let's just say middle verse, which is Patrick like middle and earth. <laughs> McKay. What are their names again? <laughs> the showrunners. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Because they, they're Kane in and McKay now. verse. There you go. And it's, it's, I think it's a lot of, a lot of hands in it. So, you know, rather than just saying, so we'll just call it the, it's the middle earth verse there. Done. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> uh, so we, we got some feedback this week uh, that I think uh, it's definitely worth bringing up. Uh, we had one uh, commenter, Robert Willows, that says he feels like we're doing too much comparison to the lore. Uh, he's, he, he's apologized because no, no show or movie will ever be what you want uh, in the war because a book can't be transferred to TV or movies exactly like the book. Um, he'd be interested more in the podcast if we just talked a bit more about what was going on and had some theories of what's going of, of what's going on using the lore and Peter Jackson movies strictly as reference material. So uh, I think I, th I think this episode kind of puts that into perspective for us I mean, for me personally i'm just kind of like i'm along for the ride at this point i think they're they're doing a great job and i'm really interested in what the show is going to be doing going forward how about you guys i definitely feel like there's a balance that we want to hit between uh talking about the show itself and talking about the works that it is striving to be derived from so definitely something to keep in mind as we're going forward yeah i agree i i, I think I think it is good to not, you know, overload, you know, listeners who might be new with like too much of the lore. One, because we we want them to discover that for themselves. Right. And two, because it, it can be very confusing if if you're not in the know. But I, I, I think so far we've we, we've largely hit a good balance with that. But, you know, there's always room for improvement and stuff. Yeah, I think. I think a lot of it, we've been steeped in the lore. And so coming into the show, that's all the reference that we have. Whereas now we got a whole season under our belt and we're going to be going back to who these characters are in this framework that they've set up. And that'll be, that'll be interesting. I think it'll be really interesting to see where they take them from here. And that was, I feel like that's kind of what they wanted to do with this season and where this last episode kind of wraps that all up and puts a bow on it. So uh, we have one more comment from um, C.R. Nugent, who says that he likes how they solved it. We're going to talk more about what they solved. Uh, he, he was glad that uh, Sauron is who it was so that we can stop the shipping speculation. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> yes, which is, is yeah. a good point. <laughs> uh, and he's looking forward to the rest of that storyline playing out as well. Um, then I, I think the, the some of the other stuff that he brings up is really interesting. He talks about. Um, he asks if we started clapping uh, like he did when the meteor man was revealed to be one of the blue wizards, which is, uh, I think, the assumption that that we're all running with here. <laughs> He's definitely a wizard. Yes. 
So we'll get into that. We'll get into that speculation because I think there's some some deeper speculation that's <laughs> still still laying in that one there. Um, he also asks the question, and this was an interesting one that I um that I have looked up and tried to figure out an answer to. He asks, how come Finrod's dagger and Galadriel's sword don't glow when orcs are around? I thought I saw that comment and I thought that only blades forged in Gondolin glowed blue when orcs are close. That was my impression from reading The Hobbit. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what I've gone with. So I don't think all elven blades glow like that. I, I think that technology that was specifically invented in Gondolin, where they're a secret city, they're, they're hidden from the orcs. So you need to know if orcs are around or the city's being snuck up on. Right. Yeah, and I think and, and the three blades that we see in the Lord of the Rings um, or that we see specifically in The Hobbit and then through the Lord of the Rings movies or the Lord of the Rings stories is also they're, they're all three gondolin swords. That was right. the, yeah. the point that was made. So I think there's also there's also some commentary on that in the movies, too, because Sting is the only sword that we ever actually see glow and in, in the movies. So there is precedent even inside of the 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 visual representations of elvish blades that even those three even those three blades don't always glow <laughs> right so you could headcanon that these that their blades were forged in valinor before there were orcs so they didn't need to glow at the time that's true that's yeah. a good point mm-hmm. that's a really good point too yeah smart yeah. Um, so that's that's it for the feedback. But uh, again, we would love to hear from you uh, what your thoughts on the whole series were, uh, what you would like for us to look into going forward. Uh, the, the interaction from the from our audience has been fantastic and we've been really loving it and getting a lot out of the comments that you guys have have been sending our way after watching the episodes as well. OK, so before we start this one, uh, thoughts on this final episode. How did you guys feel going into it, coming out of it, maybe after a second watch? <laughs> Jeff, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the finale. Um, I, I, you know, the speculations and our, our meters were, were wrong, as we'll get into. But um, I o- overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I think I was a, a little disappointed we didn't see some I, I wish it had been a little bit longer and we had gotten checked in with some of the other storylines like, um, you know, we didn't didn't check in with Casa Doom at all. We didn't check in with the Southlands at all. Um, so that was I would have preferred that. But that's just more of a preference. But for the what they decided to do with it and then the story they told in this episode, I thought it was great. It looked really I liked the crafting that we saw. Um, and uh and yeah, I, I, so I really enjoyed it. Um, so, Thomas, how about you? Yeah, I, I went into this episode nervous because, you know, it, it's a season finale. I wasn't sure how they were going to wrap this all up. You know, I knew that they had to reveal Sauron in this episode. I even thought that we would go the whole season without seeing any rings of power, even though the show is called Rings of Power. So I was a little trepidatious about that. Um, Overall, on the first viewing, I I, I did like it, Um, but I liked it even more watching it a second time because there was no Mm. sort of undercurrent of nervousness or dread about what was (laughs) going to happen. I already knew what was going to happen. So um, I, I, I liked the reveal more the second time I watched it because I knew it was coming. And uh, I, I think kind of they, they wrapped it all up nicely. And I, I notice, in fact, that they wrapped it up in a way that if if they didn't know they were getting a season two, they they kind of ended it on a place where if the show had gotten canceled for some reason, they had told a sort of mostly complete story mm-hmm. and ended with, you know, the, the forging of the three rings of the elves and. Sauron getting his hands on Mordor, apparently. So I, I, right. I liked that. But, you know, we, we know we're, we're getting more of this. So now I'm just even more excited to see what season two is going to show us. Definitely. Okay, how about you? I, I agree with you guys. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I do feel like it was a little bit rushed. Like it, it really felt like there should have been 10 episodes this season instead of just eight. Um, and it felt like they were trying to keep the reveal so secret that they had to cram it all into one episode. I think if they would have been able to kind of draw it out a little bit more, it would have been more 
satisfying in the end, but I do think um, it was a good ending and it did leave me excited for next season. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I want to go back and watch the whole season again, which I think is the mark of an excellent show, right? That mm -hmm. Especially if they, if you know, they're going to have a twist ending and kind of a reveal like this to want to go back and watch the whole thing with that context. Uh, th that means they did it well. <laughs> that's a, at least in my opinion. I, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's an indicator that like, Oh, okay. This was good enough that I feel like going back and giving it a rewatch is worthwhile. So that's, that's kind of where I came into it. I came into it with pretty high expectations and I feel like they, they met them. They really did. Uh, they surprised me. Obviously, <laughs> our our opinion has been well stated <laughs> and recorded through the series of this podcast. So uh, I was I was stunned, <laughs> and um, and I think the moment I like I almost stood up out of my chair when uh, Calibrium was going back to his workshop, and you knew Sauron was going to be there because someone is in the workshop, and I was like, "Yes, this is it. This is the moment." And it's just Halbrand. And I'm like, no, no, this is not what. Yeah. <laughs> and then they give and then they give the line that that for, for anyone who's following the lore. Right. We were looking for the gift. Right. We're looking for Anatar. And and he, he says, consider it a gift. And it's like, that's the one. No, that's it. That, yes. yeah. okay, so. Even after that, I. I held on to a shred of doubt because I was I was like, I was like, wait a minute. The three rings were not made under the influence of Sauron in, in, in the lore. And so I'm like, so if Halbrand's here, he can't be Sauron himself. Maybe he is some sort of servitor or like, you know, right. emissary of Sauron. So I held on to that shred of doubt until, you know, Galadriel starts investigating stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like. Okay, no, he's actually Sauron, and then they, they they explain how he later how you know he didn't actually aid in the actual forging of the Three Rings, but he right. helped kind of give them the ideas that led to that technology. But you know, like e even after he says the gift thing, my, my brain there was this cognitive dissonance where I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, what? They're still faking us out. They're still faking us out. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> I feel like when he. When he asked, uh, this isn't the workshop of the Celebrimbor. Um, and then he, he kind of is like, well, the master that I studied under told me all about it. And I was like, oh, Sauron, you're Sauron. <laughs> and then when he said it's a gift, I was like, I can't believe this. And I liked <laughs> how they kind of led us into it so that people who have really carefully read the books got it maybe like 10 minutes before the actual reveal. It mm -hmm. felt very exciting, I guess, because it was kind of like you're you're still on this little hunt for clues. And then then finally, they just come out and say it late, later in the episode. I thought it was very fun. Yeah, I thought the actor did a fantastic job, actually, not only of kind of like sort of, you know, keeping us convinced that he wasn't who he ends up being. But once he's sort of in Sauron mode. He does a terrific job of transitioning to just being to a, exactly as I imagine Sauron would act in these situations mm -hmm. and the sort of things he would say. And then the, just the tone of his voice. And I'm just like, th this actor is doing a spectacular job of portraying a human form Sauron, the, you know, the, the great deceiver, the tempter. I just thought mm -hmm. he, he, oh, I'm blanking on the actor's name, but kudos to him. He, he did a terrific job. To Charlie Vickers. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, too, the the use because there have been some some there's been some discussion about all of the Easter eggs that get thrown in. And um, I, I feel like this was one of the best uh, Easter eggs that they had was in the discussion that he's having with Galadriel, where he tells her that she gets she could be the queen. Right. And, and but the way that he's telling her, it echoes that moment that she has later with Frodo when she's, you know, look when she's saying you would have me be a queen and loved by all. And it, you see that shadow arise in the way that he's talking about it. And it was, it was chilling like that whole passage that he takes with her at, in exploring kind of what his vision for middle earth is. Yeah. When, when, when he said, uh, Oh my God. Uh, what, what, what was his line? Actually? He says, uh, uh, I uh, no. Where is it? I, I have it in my notes here somewhere. 
I have been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. In that time, I've had many names. I got chills when he said that. Mm-hmm. He did such a good job. I, I think like, that I was, was one like, of my favorite okay. lines from the whole season. Yeah. Because it was so steeped in Tolkien, too. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. so accurate, which was a nice, it was nice to kind of have a moment of accuracy. And it was just so perfectly done and delivered. Like, it was so good. All right. So I'm without further ado, we're, we'll, let's go through and, and we'll, since we've been talking about it, let's go and talk about the, the episode as it's been coming up. So Jeff did a, another great uh, rundown for, for this episode. Uh, Jeff, do you, do you mind if I read it this time? Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to, we're just going to run through the episode here. We have uh, Galadriel and Halbrand arrive at a, re- a region where he recovers from his flesh wound. <laughs> thanks to the Elvish medicine. <laughs> And uh, Halbrand meets Celebrimor and advises him to use other metal to make the mithril go farther, saying it's a gift of an idea. While Gilgalad orders everyone to prepare to leave, leave Middle-earth, giving them three weeks to make the mithril guffin. <laughs> and uh, Galadriel decides to fact check herself at the archives. Yeah, I like the MacGuffin part there. That's definitely what was happening. Um anything else you guys want to say about this because i think we covered like this is where we start getting the reveal but uh i'm I'm, it was intriguing that he did recover from his wounds so quickly and i i wonder if that's just him being sauron and why that wouldn't have like given everyone else the like hey this is not okay (laughs) that a human should not recover from this level of a wound so quickly (laughs) it's possible that there was some kind of time that had passed I want to go back and watch the battle scene and see kind of if you see where he got injured or see, you know, see if you actually see him take a spear. I I don't think you do. So I, I kind of want to just go back and look at that. It, like we said, I want to rewatch the whole season. But yeah, I I knew I didn't really chime in on it. But yeah, as soon as he said it's a gift, I was like, my my Sauron meter went, you know, 11 out of 10. It's him. So um, <laughs> I was. Yeah. And then. <laughs> I thought it was just kind of funny how all of a sudden Galadriel was saying um, she started having a doubt of like, maybe I should fact check this, what I've based my entire mission on um, and see if there is any actual uh, knowledge or, you know, any, any information on this. Cause she just kind of was like, Oh, you have this thing and this sign that, and it's the sign of the Kings. And it, it harkens back a little bit to that, um, the scrap of paper that she finds in the, uh, in the library in Numenor. And it's like, that looks like a plant. You know, that was my thought at the time too. <laughs> and so I, I'm very, very solidly feeling that for sure. Now that was like the kind of thing that you allow a scout to escape with. Right. I also thought it was interesting. I went and rewatched, I think it was episode three when she finds that scroll and she, brings it to Halbrand and the way that he looks at the scroll before he knows what's on it he you can see in his eyes that he's like oh no what is this and then he opens the scroll and there's like this relief of like oh she didn't find out she she thinks I'm something completely different and I thought that was a really fun moment to see going back on it yeah and that's the kind of stuff that I want to go back and watch the series for yeah, it's funny because she was almost trying to talk him out of or talk. He was trying to talk her out of the fact that he was the he was the king. And he even tells her later that, oh, I wanted to remain in Numenor. Um, so he was like, and, but he just kind of was like, oh, here's this path to power that I could maybe follow. And she's one of the high, you know, the high elves. So maybe she'll she'll get me what I need. So, yeah. And that's I, I we, we talked a lot about that in my house, too, that um, he's an opportunist, right? Like he had a plan. I'm not sure what it was because he was on this raft in the middle of the ocean. Maybe he was trying to go to Valinor himself. I don't know. But or get to Numenor. Uh, just that that was like his objective was to try and get to Numenor. But he's an opportunist, right? So this other opportunity presented itself. And then he ended up in Numenor and he was like, oh, this is great. I'll just stay here. And then the opportunity presented itself for him to go back to Middle Earth. It's kind of like, I mean, I wasn't going to do that yet, but okay, I guess I can, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, 
it's interesting to see him to see Sauron in sort of a different light, right? Where he's between he's between jobs right now, so he's like throwing his resume out to anything <laughs> that'll take him. <laughs> I feel like he began to see Galadriel as kind of a door into regaining his power, and so he decided to go with her. Um, because he thought it might be a great opportunity, but maybe he was intending to stay in Numenor for a lot longer for some kind of reason. Maybe he thought he could bring about Numenor's downfall earlier than than what mm. might happen later. And and I think it's we have to be clear there too. Like his his concept is not to bring the downfall of Numenor so much as it is to raise a rebellion against the Valinor and to go back and and retake you know the the west and and i think he has the hubris to to feel like he could do that given the right situations and so you know i because we have the we, uh, hindsight's 2020 20, right and and we know what ends up happening but that even that like the fall of numenor is a big deal because even the valar are like yeah we we can't do anything about this. We need the, we need the big guy in on this one. <laughs> yeah. And I think he, it's almost like for him, Numenor was like a, uh, a kind of, cause he clearly had, had developed. We learned in the uh, earlier on in the season, that whole thing where he's trying to get, you know, Mordor in place. He had that contingency plan for when Morgoth's defeated, but then Adar, you know, knocks him off and kind of takes over that whole scheme. So it's almost like maybe for him going to Numenor is like a backup of the backup plan. And he mm. wants to corrupt Numenor into his own evil realm so that he can go back and retake, you know, Mordor from from Adar or some other plan along those lines. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like with somebody like Sauron, he's got plan A through Z already like worked out in case something <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, he's definitely an organized type A kind of guy with probably several different backup plans for his backup plans. Yeah. <laughs> and then Galadriel comes along. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm not sure where this is going, but I can work with this. <laughs> yeah. He, he goes with it and she basically just hands him everything that uh, he needed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whoops. I thought this was going to take another hundred years, but you know, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> three weeks? Okay, I can do three weeks. <laughs> Has anyone heard it if in any of the actor interviews? Well, then and they'll be they'll be giving more now. I assume that the now that the season's over. But I wonder if the fact that Halbrand was Sauron was even kept from some of the principal actors, mm. so that they I think could... it was. I remember reading that for a long time, the only two people, the only two cast members who knew were Morvith and Charlie. And I know that most of them hadn't seen the finale. So I mm. think they kept it pretty secret. Mm. Because like, if, if that's the case, then it would make those the you know, those characters wouldn't kind of give away any tells that they were kind of in the know, you know, they would do right. a better job of acting against this character who's hiding something. If they, the, if they, the actor didn't know that that character is hiding something. Either that or you tell everyone, maybe you're Sauron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be any of us. <laughs> could be anyone. <laughs> uh, it gives a much more sinister acting to everyone else, right? <laughs> the show gets all dark because everyone thinks they're Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I think I read that he filmed the first two, and then they told me it was Sauron. From what I read, okay. Hmm. We'll have to. Well, I, I'd love to hear hear that. So maybe maybe before we get to record the next podcast, we'll uh, be able to learn some more about that and mm -hmm. I'll definitely be looking for some information for it too. So meanwhile, uh, in the, in the show, uh, the three mystics do end up catching up with meteor man, believing him to be Sauron and the Harfoots find him at about the same time and convince him he is good. And the mystics name him as Istar. Uh, they attack and he defeats them, saving the Harfoots who tracked him, except Sadak who sadly dies shortly after the battle. Uh, watching the sunset which i love that was very that was very hobbit kind of you know just let me sit down for a minute well, <laughs> i'm done just sweet. let me sit down for a minute yeah except i i kept saying i'm like oh so meteor man's gonna heal him now right and he doesn't 
And I was like, oh. I thought that too, but it, it was really his time, you know. He was yeah. like, the missus is waiting for me. He's older. He's lived his very full life. Like, I think he was just ready. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like how they said he, they kind of brought it back to going off trail. I'm going off trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or I think he said it's like, a, it looks like I'm going off trail or time to go off trail or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really on, it was really on character for them. I think all the way through, they did a really good job. It was very sweet. And, 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 the, and the, the battle itself was really interesting too. I liked the way that they were representing magic. Um, lots of, lots of magic wizard words flying around everywhere. <laughs> oh, and uh, Tom, you, you were right about uh, calling them out last episode as Easterlings mm-hmm. because they yep. say they're from Rune. They're from Rune. Although mm-hmm. I, I'm still not convinced that they were human. Like part of me thinks that they, that, that they were probably Maiar. Like they, the, their level of power seems to be above what I would even expect like human sorceresses to possess. Mm-hmm. And especially since they also seem to exist in the unseen world when he does the the thing at the end that exposes them is almost kind of like whites or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- to me, they kind of almost look like the ring wraiths when right. you see that when Frodo or uh, I guess Frodo is the only one who in the films, at least you see them, they kind of look like that. So I was kind of wondering if maybe these were kind of some early proto ring race that Sauron had earned, you know, maybe not quite as to the extent that he does the, with the nine, but they did, they kind of look the same to me. So I could see it going that they're Maiar, or I could see it going that they're humans who were kind of corrupted. Oh, and like experimented on with because they said Sauron was doing all these various experiments. But they had they had crafted materials. So this is what I was coming back to: the the artifacts that they're carrying are very important, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that we're going to see kind of themed through the show is that that Sauron is an artificer. He's not as much a sorcerer as he is a creator of things. And his, his magic is very material, which is a really awesome concept. Like to, to take it to that level of detail and say, what was his power? His power was making things that had power over other things. And you see that in this, in this fight, when the wizard kind of holds out the staff at the end and it melts away after after they melt away the staff also melts away so all of the the pieces of power that they had with them are also uh are very temporary and are destroyed once their power is gone as well i think that's a really interesting point especially when you think of sauron as a craftsman because he studied under aule mm-hmm. and the noldor were also favored by aule and so the connection between him and galadriel kind of seems even more important when you think about that yeah I, I i think i feel like they're getting a lot of really core fundamental things right which is cool because that makes me that makes me feel like okay we're getting we're gonna get a, a lot of expansion of lore here and it's not gonna be just kind of like from whatever but that it's from the lore that exists and from the history that we know and and yeah it's gonna be new and it's gonna be different but it's it's fundamentally staying true to what the you know where these powers were derived from and that's really cool all right so uh from there we go to the numenorians uh and their expedition returns uh we have a, a short a short clip of uh kind of what's happening with the king and that he's dying and maybe that our farazan is seeing his opportunity here that now that the queen's gone and there's an, a, a vacuum of power that he's going to be able to step into that moment and then the numenorians return uh, and have all of the flags flying black and on the, or all the sails black on the ships in the harbor, which that was that was a, a tough moment because then at the same time you have the queen stepping up and asking, or, you know, Muriel steps up and says, what, what is it? What do you see? And because there's no other indication, there's no auditory indication that anything's wrong. It's just those black sails. Yeah, I like the Numenor sections in this episode. I especially liked um, Alendil's, uh moment with the the queen regent because i was worried kind of after last episode that they were going to make elendil really embittered but he Mm -hmm. he that that doesn't really happen in fact he he doubles down on his identity as both an elf friend and as one of the faithful and Mm -hmm. uh muriel actually has uh, my favorite line of the episode she says the way of the faithful is committing to pay the price even if the cost cannot be known and I think not only was that very Tolkien, 
But that has a lot of resonance for us as Christians. You know, you, you don't count the cost in being one of the faithful. You know, you, you are prepared to give everything for the sake of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I, I just thought that that hit that kind of no. We all know that, that Tolkien's faith worldview is suffused throughout his work. And I just thought that that hit that note perfectly. And, and I've, I've just loved all the Numenor stuff throughout this whole series. And, and it, it's going to be very, very heartbreaking to see where Numenor goes after mm-hmm. this. Yeah, especially as they as they track them through the fall, because it's not a it's not an immediate thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's going to be very heartbreaking as it goes, as, especially as we're getting to know these characters. And it might be I am assuming it will be a couple seasons before the fall. So we're going to mm-hmm. grow to know these characters. We're going to um, feel connections to different ones. And I think it's going to be quite devastating for us. Definitely. You, you even see a bit of Farazan's like the beginning of what will eventually be his attack on the Valar, because he mentions mortality mm-hmm. as being something that like you, you get that sense that like for him, it's not so much the power he could wield as King. It's his fear of death is what's really bothering him. And you, you both, and you, the, the last scene we get of Numenor is him looking on the dead king and with tears in his eyes. And you get Mm -hmm. the sense that he's not just weeping for his uncle, the king. He's kind of weeping for his own eventual fate and the fate of all men. He's like, you know, why does it have to be this way? It's like that perennial question. Why do men have to die? So so this is this is something interesting that I don't think I, I know that we all know the lore of Lord of the Rings, but I don't know that it's really discussed in depth in the movies or in any of the the visual productions that we've had how long an elf lives and that's a it's a it's a tough question to try and answer to for some for some people too because uh you know they're not immortal in the sense that they can't die but they are infinitely long-lived so there's there's no point at which they at least not that I know of that, that an elf dies of old age. It's just that they're because they're healthy. They, they are always healthy. And the only thing that can kill them is being in some sort of situation of combat because they, they recover from disease very quickly. They recover from wounds very quickly. So they really do have to die in combat. And it, and I, I feel like I'm right in that, but I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have any other views on that. I've heard the term serial longevity used for them um, because they, like you said, they're not eternal and they can die. Um, But it's more like their fate is tied to the fate of the earth itself. So it's like they, I believe they'll live as long as the earth lives. Um, And then what happens after that? Not quite sure. They all travel the Hall of Mandos at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely how I took it. And the way elves kind of look at men sometimes is like, you guys don't know how lucky you have it. You get to leave mm-hmm. because e- even when elves die in combat, they don't leave this physical dimension. They go to the Halls of Mandos where they wait until presumably the end of time. Whereas when humans die, they spend a brief time in the halls of Mandos and then move on to some unspecified place outside of the physical world. And elves are like, even when we die, we don't get to leave this place. You guys get to leave. That's why they call it the gift of men. But from, you know, a, a man's limited perspective, it seems like, oh, well, the, the elves have everything better. They live forever. They can have all these experiences and stuff. So you you really get I hope they play on the kind of two different perspectives and worldviews of the two different races as it in terms of death and mortality. Yeah, what I've kind of read about it is is it's almost like uh, the men are being taken to the, you know, kind of how we as Catholics view our 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 concept of of heaven is they're being taken to a Luvatar to dwell with him. As far kind of as far as we know, they're the men are being set aside and taken up to be with a Luvatar. 
Um, and beyond that, again, we don't know, just like we don't know the fate of the elves. So, um, yeah, definitely an interesting kind of uh, an interesting uh, point counterpoint there in terms of the elves, because, yeah, they I think I, I want to say Curdon is one of the longest lived elves in Middle Earth. Uh, and I believe he was from Amon and he came to Middle Earth, but he's one of the last to leave. So he basically was there for all of, you know, all ages of Middle Earth. So before he he left, um, which I did on that, I think I did read that Cardon is uh, cast for season two. So, oh, oh yeah, good. I heard that. That's good because I was disappointed we didn't see him this season. I'm really <laughs> excited, and I hope he has an awesome beard. Yes, that's right. He's <laughs> one of the few elves to have a beard. <laughs> yeah, so they better make it a great beard. <laughs> That'd be impressive. <laughs> I just hope they don't make him look like Santa Claus. I think that'll be a little tricky. Oh, that, it, it's funny because when, when my brother and I were watching this episode, when, when the King of Numenor passes, I made this crack where I was like, Santa Claus is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's any that's a challenge you're going to have when you have any character with a big, long white beard. An old, trying yeah. to make him not look like Santa, Santa Claus. Yep. Well, and and I think you could probably I don't know with the way they've cast the elves so far, you could probably get away with it with just not not like a crazy long beard, not like a dwarf style beard, but just like a, you know, a beard that he's proud of and that he's taken care of. So it just needs to look good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the pictures or the artists, you know, renderings of Cardon I've seen, he's kind of got like a nicely trimmed, like a nicely trimmed beard. So kind of like a. Well, I'm thinking of kind of like Aragorn or, you know, Boromir, that kind of a, like a nicely trimmed, like maybe a little longer, but in more gray, but mm, clean. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to see their interpretation of, of Kyrdan for sure. He's had tens of thousands of years to perfect the art of like, you <laughs> right. know, trimming facial hair. So <laughs> it's got to look impressive, man. It's got to look like really good. It's going to put, it's going to put dwarves to shame, not because it's, it's like so a bonsai big, tree it's so amazing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect beard. It's like a bonsai uh, tree where you clip one hair at a time and yeah. let it grow for, for years or decades or centuries. Yes, he has time. So back in Erigium, we, we see the attempts to bond. The mithril are failing. Uh, Halbrun offers more ideas, but they're all of them deceived. Uh, Gladriel learns the line of Southland Kings had been broken and that it was Halbrand all along. Halbrand admits he is Sauron and proposes that Galadriel join him to rule the world. She rejects him. Halbrand escapes and along with Elrond and Celebrimbor, the, the three decide that they need to split the, ob- split the mithril into three objects rather than just two to be able to save the elves. So, yeah, we've, we've talked through this this segment a bit, but... um. Man, it was great. I loved it. I was really just for, from from that moment where Kilburnbor uh, walks back into his workshop, and and like I said, you know that's Sauron right there. And it's like, no, wait, that's Halbrand. That's not. They couldn't have done that. <laughs> it was good. It fooled me. I'm, I, I admit it. Yep, we were all wrong. <laughs> so anybody who had their Halbrand meter going the whole time. Kudos to you. That's... I just thought it was too obvious. I I thought they were trying to outsmart us by misleading us um, because there were so many little red flags where you were like, yeah, that's Sauron. But then I thought that they were going to try and do some kind of like sneaky maneuver in, in order to reveal the actual Sauron has been behind the scenes this whole time. So I think I've learned my lesson now that if they're if they're pointing to someone telling me that this is someone i'm just gonna go with that's who it is now <laughs> uh see now that's how they're gonna fool you for season two they're gonna <laughs> <laughs> this is just never ending. <laughs> i don't know that they have much more there's there's not much more to reveal i don't think i think like they this was their big the big card that they were holding back and i really feel like they did a good job with it i feel like they were uh obvious enough for you to catch the signs early but then at the same time not obvious enough that we were like well duh, that's obviously Sauron you know we questioned it the whole time through so um I, I like it and going back through like there's just a few th- few scenes that make so much more sense knowing that he's Sauron like the scene where they're in the, in the prison together 
in Numenor and he's giving her advice about how to be diplomatic. And it's like, seriously, dude, you're a human from nowhere and you're giving right. an elf advice about how to be diplomatic. Well, no, he's a Maiar who's been around from ages preceding even her. So, yeah, he, he, he knows a thing or two. <laughs> I loved going back to when they first met on the raft because she says this line about how she was alive before the first sunrise. And then now knowing that he was alive <laughs> way before then, oh, yeah. I thought was kind of funny um, because it was she was kind of trying to like assert dominance there. Like, I'm so much older than you. And he is thinking to himself, like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like when he was giving his sort of side of things his sort of side of the story about what happened after morgoth's mm -hmm. defeat and he, he actually says i thought it was interesting he said i f i felt the light of the one again when mm -hmm. he was sort of freed from morgoth's kind of controlling domination but then he he says that you know oh, i i knew that to be forgiven i would have to go around middle earth and heal things i started yelling at the tv i was like no i'm like you know what you were supposed to do to be forgiven. Aonwe told you. You had to go back and face the judgment of the Valar and get your just desserts. You you completely skipped bail, did not show up at your court hearing. And you're going to tell me, oh, I'm just trying to be forgiven. I was like, <laughs> I was like yelling because like I, I, I knew that he was giving his edited version of things of what right. happened. <laughs> I think he just the penance was too hard. He didn't want to do it. He was yeah. like, well, I don't I don't want to go back to Valinor and have to be a servant or have to serve any kind of prison sentence. I don't want to do that. So he kind of played around with with fully repenting. But after that, he was like, well, maybe I'll repent in my own way by trying yeah. to fix things and mm -hmm. order them to the way that I think they should be, which really wasn't very repentant. No, he's. He's he's still controlling things. He still wants to do things his way. He doesn't want to listen to any higher. He says he felt the one again, but he doesn't want to listen to any higher authority other than himself. And I just thought that those layers of his personality and how he's even kind of fooling himself was was mm. very interesting. Yeah, that's I that, I feel like that's the key, right? Where uh he's he is fooling himself. Like he he he'll justify any of the things that he does like so so he's he's created a land for the orcs and they deserve a land too right i mean it's it's unfair for us to say that they don't deserve somewhere to live and so you know we kind of got into that like morality question about the orcs about whether or not they're redeemable um and and you see here someone who is in that same kind of vein where he's he's completely thrown himself into his will is perfect. His personal will is perfect. And that's uh, and, he, and it's not that it's not that he doesn't even barring the repentance side of things. Nobody has perfect vision of what's going to happen. So you have to at some point stop and say, maybe I was wrong about that and <laughs> and change course. You know? <laughs> no, he's the kind of guy who thinks I just have everybody's best interests at heart. If everyone would just listen to me and my ideas and my plans, things would go splendidly. It's your fault for not going along with my vision. Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, so it's, it's funny here, too, because we, we get to the point where they decide to make the three rings. And uh, later in the show, they have they have the song at the end about the, the rings that exist. And so then one of my kids turns around to me and he goes, so wait, there were 20 rings? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually There's done 20. the math. Yes, there are 20 <laughs> rings. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, which is which is probably for the best because, you know, only only a couple of them end up actually making it through to the end. So I guess all the all the men rings do just not in exactly the way that they're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> Some of the dwarven rings will get destroyed. Um, mm -hmm. But. I hope we get to see that. That would be fun. I know that would be really cool. Right. There are so many different like aspects of the story that they could really explore more deeply. And I really hope they do just little things like that. Well, cause I mean, I know that the, some of the rings were destroyed by dragons. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. but, but we don't have those tales. Like they're not really, so that's kind of free reign for them to do whatever they want with those. 
Yeah, I would love some dragons. That would be very fun. Yeah, Yeah. no kidding. Let's go. Or that's the (laughs) spinoff show of this. <laughs> right. Yeah they, yeah, they could do a whole spin-off show on on the uh, the War of the Dwarves and Dragons, which is mm. from what I I believe that's where the at least 3 of the dwarven rings end up or 4 of them end up being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be that would be cool. Man, with the way they've been treating the dwarves so far, I would Okay, yeah. Like dwarves I versus mean, dragons. What's not to love about that? That's Yeah. <laughs> Let's have less Harfoots, more dwarves with dragons. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All right. So save some of this for the like follow up episode. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Gotta but definitely. Save. Let's yeah, talk more about it. that. More about that kind of stuff for the for the follow up episode for sure. Um, so we, we get we get back to the to the last bit of the um, the Harfoots uh, story where Nori decides to leave with Meteor Man and uh, we get the the line that is, I think, driving everybody nuts about who exactly Meteor Man is, where he kind of turns around and sniffs the air and tells uh, Nori, when in doubt, follow your nose. And they go off together on a journey to Rune. Uh, so let's let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we need to talk about this. <laughs> he, he mentions that he is a wizard. He mentions that his he is an uh, an Estar, uh a wise a wise one, and then a wizard. Like he does actually say the word wizard. I don't think this line connects him as directly to Gandalf as a lot of people seem to think. So I'm going to open that. Why I'm going to open with that, that statement. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's a direct line from the movies. So it is with everything they've been pulling from the movies. It kind of implies. I would say I feel 80% sure that he's supposed to be Gandalf, or at least they want us to think he's Gandalf, which brings me back to my Hallbrand <laughs> problem of when they See? want you to think something, <laughs> what does it mean? I'm just. That's how they're going to fool you with this guy. I yeah. know. It's driving me crazy. Um, yeah. I don't want to wait two more years to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the only thing that still sticks with me that, that, that makes me think he might not be Gandalf is the fact that when I think it's in the the book, the two towers, when Gandalf Faramir remembers Gandalf telling him his various names and he's got a name in the North name, in the West in the South in a name from Valinor. And then he says to the East, I go not. He's like, mm-hmm. I, I have no name in the East in rune because I've never been there. So that's the one thing that makes me think, well, then maybe he's not Gandalf unless they're just going to paper over that and just ignore it. But it, it, it it's funny because the, during the whole goodbye sequence, when all the hobbits are saying goodbye to Nori and that they're 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 unpacking all this stuff and they're, they're getting ready to leave. I'm like, does not one of you have a blue coat that you could give this guy and like confirm that he's a blue wizard? I'm like you. I was like to someone in the background. I'm like, you kind of have a blue coat. Can you give it to the wizard? Like, you know, or a like, hat or something. Yeah. Like, so like, I'm still holding out hope that he's a blue wizard. But yeah, that line was very like not uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Very on the nose. <laughs> It it was it was another movie callback, which I'm getting very tired of. Yeah. And it was a very puzzling line to use, because if he's not Gandalf, why would you give him a line that's like straight out of Gandalf's mouth um, unless they're trying to confuse us? So it just felt puzzling. Um, but I'm still holding on to hope that he's not Gandalf. I, I feel like what they're trying to do is connect Gandalf to him so that everybody has a point of reference and then they're going to establish that he's a blue wizard but the thing is is that there were two blue wizards and the way they're talked about in the lore is that they're always kind of talked about as like a twin pair right like mm. they were together and we haven't seen the other one so uh. yeah yeah this is just one of those things I think we're just gonna have we'll to see wait another on. meteor in- oh yeah oh right. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, season two is just this whole same thing over again with the different meteor. Yeah, <laughs> just got to follow another set of hardfoots around. Like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, something I did see, and I, I don't. This is kind of speculation, but it, it was something from the Tolkien wiki that I looked up. But in 
the peoples of Middle Earth, which is one of you know not one of the canon to works, or it's one of the you know kind of appendices, or you know one of the you know other works that never kind of made it in fully as its own story was that the the blue wizards are said and to have arrived in the second age. So mm-hmm. I'm yeah I'm, I'm hoping it's he's a blue wizard because uh, I I don't want it to be Gandalf, but they are very being. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely wanting us pointing us that way. And I'm kind of like you, Caitlin, I'm like, are they pointing us that way because they want us to think it's Gandalf, but it's not really Gandalf. Are they going to do kind of a double, you know, triple, uh, uh, triple turn is like, you think it's Gandalf and it's, so it is, but then it's not. So, um, I don't know. I I can't tell if the show is going to be subtle enough to do that, to kind of do more or if they're just going to be very, very obvious. So, but according to everybody I've talked to, it's either 100% Gandalf or 100% not. So <laughs> be interesting to finally see that reveal in, in a couple of years. So yeah. it almost feels like some kind of psychological torture that they're doing. <laughs> like, I can't live like this. At least he's very clearly not Sauron. That's that. You yes. Know, I, right. He's not. Yeah, he's not evil. That's for sure. And, and I, I think since he's going to the to the east that's what uh, like that that to me is the he's one of the blue wizards but so i'm gonna i'm gonna lay it out here too though and say this if it is gandalf eh, not really any sweat off of our backs honestly because i don't really feel like gandalf has to be born in the third age for it to be like that the only reason that would that would stick that would be a sticking point is kind of because of because canon right and I feel like the the story that they're telling, it doesn't really make that much of a difference if it is Gandalf or not. I I think the interesting thing, though, is having Gandalf around this early while uh, Saruman's not would be very odd. It does bother me because the manner in which Gandalf arrives in Middle Earth is also important. So the timing and the, the actual mode of transportation are so different that that kind of worries me because he's supposed to come on a boat. Um, and this, the meteor thing is just not anywhere in the, in the stories. Um, and he's, he comes at a specific time for a specific reason in a specific way. So if they're changing so many things about the way that he arrives, it kind of worries me a little bit. But again, I think this is one of those situations where we might just need to detach the show from our expectations according to the books just because we have to remember that it's not it's not a direct adaptation and so i kind of need to just chill out a little bit i guess with my own (laughs) my own thoughts but it i think it will be hard to accept if he is gandalf yeah i'm I'm kind of doing the same thing i'm detaching myself like I'm 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 not going to be that person that I was years ago yelling at the Hobbit movies for getting all of the lore of the Witch King wrong, and so <laughs> I'm just like I've I've kind of outgrown that a little bit. So I'm like okay, I'm like in the context of this show, of what they have set up. If he's Gandalf, like I'm kind of the same thing. I'm like oh, that's not really how I would have written that, but I'm like okay, like it's not egregiously offensive in terms of it's not upending the spirit of the tale. Mm-hmm. But I agree that I, I would like to see them do it the way as it's presented in, in the books. It's just that I've kind of detached myself emotionally a little bit from it. Yeah. I also feel like uh, Gandalf didn't really do anything. If he was here in the second age, he didn't really do anything important. And mm. so if he's there, What's the point? Because we spent so much of the season on this storyline where Mm -hmm. we could have been spending it developing Numenor or with the elves or with anything that had more of a consequence in the bigger story. And so I feel like if he is Gandalf, it almost feels like they just wasted their time trying to create something familiar to bring us in Um, Mm. because they just spent so much time on the story. So Mm. I just want to know what's the point of it. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued at what the point is anyway, right? Because <laughs> we, 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 even if he's a blue wizard and he goes to the east, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, we, I we don't just, really know I what that was. I have some theories about that, but I'm going to save my theories for our wrap up of the season <laughs> okay. episode. Because I have. Good idea. Yeah. 
I've got a couple. I've got a couple too that that kind of relate back to some uh, like a throwaway line in an earlier episode that I think mm. is going to be really significant later. I, I so, think we I may mean, be thinking of the same line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so uh, finally, on this episode, we have the uh, Elven rings are actually forged, which is a really cool scene. Um, I love the the forging process and what they were using to forge. It's very uh, interesting, Elven artifice kind of stuff. Um, and we, <laughs> I love this, Jeff, this was, this was classic. This was a good one. Uh, we end the episode, uh, with Elrond finding out that the truth about Halbrun and Halbrun simply walks into Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you're Sauron, you could do that. You can do that. <laughs> he also got his cloak from where? Like, oh, right. just stop at the store on the way. I saw a theory that maybe he just had it in his little pouch and it was just folded up really small. Like, where did this cloak come from? It's very cool. He, he's like, he has the bag of infinite holding. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. It's like Legend of Zelda. He can just shrink stuff down to, and hold all this equipment. But, you know, he, it doesn't actually burden him. It's possible he made it. I mean, he's, you know, on the way yeah. yeah, kind of thing he does. Right? He's just walking. Yeah. I saw um, a line from an interview with the actor that he said they filmed that scene in like a giant parking lot. And now that I know <laughs> that he's he's standing on a big rock in the middle of a giant parking lot. And uh, now I can't I can't see it any other way. It's just so funny. to me. <laughs> Mordor is uh, the script is replaced with random parking lot yeah. <laughs> it's like they paved over um, mordor he's like <laughs> oh my gosh but I, I thought it was a great scene it was a great way to end it and kind of like yep no he is actually sauron you know i know i know we didn't actually like really dive <laughs> we we've given you all the hints and told you all the things but no he's walking into mordor as the guy who's gonna who's gonna own it <laughs> i did like the scene and when he's in the flashbacks with um with galadriel and they're on the raft and you go from looking at them to looking at the reflection and it's the reflection is him with his spiky uh helmet on that was really yes. cool it was so cool it was probably top 10 shots in the season at least yeah the, the cinematography has been really on point for the show like i've i've really enjoyed the way they framed things the lighting is phenomenal uh, especially with the dwarf scenes, uh, the underground being being well lit, but not being day bright is just really, really well done. Especially compared to a lot of other shows that are shows and mm. movies where things are so dark that you can't see what's happening. I feel like they got the lighting down pretty well for this show. Game of Thrones, we're looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any closing thoughts about uh, this episode? I feel like they... I don't know if, if this is going to be controversial or not, but I feel like this whole Sauron and Galadriel plot was so inspired by the new Star Wars trilogy and this whole like <laughs> Kylo Ren Ray thing. I've heard it that. Felt yeah. Like, like I feel like this season was like, we're going to make a, a show for fans of the Peter Jackson movies and for Raylo. Is what it felt like. Um, there, it was just so similar when you know Kylo Ren is like, "You're you're nothing, but not to me." And then Halbrand is saying to her, "You know, nobody trusts you. Nobody sees you like I do. You know, take my hand and we'll rule the galaxy together." I was just like, <laughs> it felt so. I don't know how to. It just was like they just did Raylo, but in Middle Earth is what it felt like. Um, <laughs> Even though in the end, you know, it wasn't like truly romantic. It, I was just like, what's going on here? Well, at least they picked one of the best storylines from the sequels to, <laughs> to rip off. <laughs> it's going to turn out that Galadriel is actually Morgoth's granddaughter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Her no, dad no, was no. a field clone. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. That's season two. Season two is when uh, Kylo Ren says, uh, next time I offer you my hand, you'll take it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that that was um, weird. Um, but, you know, a lot of people like Star Wars. I like Star Wars, so I'm not mad about it. But it just felt so similar that I couldn't not point it out. Can you agree with that one? Yep. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting too how it how it ended where um where you see uh Elrond find kind of the scroll that Galadriel was mm. was had dropped in the water and and cuz she doesn't tell them, she doesn't tell Celebrimbor or Elrond that Halbrand is Soren. She just says we will not tr- we should not treat with him anymore. So I I'm curious to kind of see where that goes where is she kind of hiding her embarrassment or is there kind of a deeper reason why she why she isn't just coming out and saying it was Sauron, you know, Sauron all along. But we see that Elrond kind of picks up on the fact that it was that, you know, Halbrand at least, Elrond at least knows that Halbrand wasn't who he said he was, whether he knows it's Sauron or no, or what he thinks. Uh, I don't know, but I, I'm kind of leaning toward Elrond kind of thinks it is Halbrand was Sauron. So where does that kind of leave their friendship? Uh, Elrond and uh, Galadriel's friendship. Um, Cause we, I thought the line where he where he said or uh, where she said to trust me, and he says you know something like you know I, I wanted to trust you, and she says if it was easy it wouldn't be called trust or I, sh- I should have written down the line, but mm. basically saying like it's it's easy to you know say trust me when it's low stakes, but when it's high stakes you really have to mean trust me, and you have to accept that, otherwise it's uh, you you I, you have to accept my trust or this isn't going to work. And we see how later in the story, in the you know Lord of the Rings, they're, you know, they are they're they're related by marriage, uh, right. as well as just they're they're kind of the two of the leaders of the free people of Middle Earth. So if we're kind of headcanning all this together, we see that they're, you know, they do kind of make up down the road. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's so consistent with Galadriel's character to be leaving out inconvenient truths like that that mm-hmm. might make her look bad because. We see her do that in the Silmarillion with Melian, uh. where she's just talking about how, you know, Melian's kind of like, why did you guys come over to Middle Earth? And she she kind of tells her half of the story, but she conveniently leaves out anything that might make her family look bad. And so her doing that in this series makes total sense. She seems to have a, a problem with that. And, and we see the beginnings of her being humbled in this too, right? Where... Mm-hmm. Uh, this is it's a big deal that that she was flirting so closely with her dark side and not just her personal dark side, but the dark side of everything. And that's I, I, I felt like that 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 scene did that good justice where we saw her really have to do some introspection very quickly in realizing who he was. Yeah, that whole scene was just really well done the whole Sauron reveal and the visions and it was it was incredible it was so creepy and scary and intense mm. and emotional like I just thought they did a really good job all right I think I I my my big thing is I am really looking forward to seeing how the relationship with between Elrond and Galadriel advances because we see that friendship is something that's very important to him like this whole season has been building up to how important it is to be honest with your friends, to, to be close with them, uh, to communicate with them. And now we see the end of this, this thing where it's like, she comes back from the dead essentially. And then he finds out that she's been lying to him. Maybe not that she's maybe not the depth of how dishonest she's been, but she has been in some way dishonest. And that was a big problem that he had with, with um, Gilgalad earlier. So it'll be interesting to see how he moves forward with repairing these relationships, especially with Gilgalad and her, as they're going to be the three holders of the rings moving forward. So that'll be it from us. Uh, We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Middle Earth, including Mike P, Eric H, Sean T and Clayton R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of middle earth and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. We would Absolutely love to hear what you think of this uh, this season, this episode specifically, but the season in general. Uh, you can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth on our Facebook page or on Twitter, or you can send an email to Middle Earth at sqpn.com. 
Interestingly, on the show, we've also been getting a lot of comments on our YouTube channel. So if that's a way that you're uh, interacting with us, we'd be more than happy to, to hear from you there. Uh, we do get those into our emails so that we can see them and uh, include them in the show or be able to respond to them. Also, I'd like to remind everybody, if you have a topic that you would love to see us cover, we are, we've got some time to fill until the next season comes out, but we would like to keep the podcast alive. So if there's something that you would like to see us do, let us know and we will try and fit it in. We've got some ideas ourselves, but uh, it's not a bad idea to have uh, multiples of them because we still don't have a date for season two. Am I right? I think it's going to be two years. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping not. I'm, ho- I'm hoping they're just like, they're actually finishing it like they're not just i know they just started shooting but it's like one of those things where they can do it i don't know we'll we'll see they can do it faster than season one because covid isn't as big of a deal so hopefully they'll they'll go a little quicker hopefully that's the way it'll work out i think everybody's on like an 18 month schedule anymore that's the way stranger things has kind of been pumping Mm -hmm. out where it's like it'll come out next year at the end of the year you know (laughs) yeah the 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 showrunner said a couple of years in uh, in one interview so that kind of made me lose all hope (laughs) (laughs) but we'll see so we just need to call up jeff bezos and tell him to get on it because uh he's the one that made this happen in the first place (laughs) yeah maybe jeff we need more middle Uh, so I, I just wanted to remind everybody we'll be back in uh, one month where we will be just discussing our broader thoughts on the show, what we hope to see going forward, as well as some of the deeper themes that we're seeing addressed in the Middleverse in general, and maybe more Dwarves and Dragons, because I am 100% behind that idea. Uh, <laughs> so until then, uh, Jeff uh, Hecker, thank you for joining me in The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Thank you. And Thomas Salerno, thank you as well. Thanks so much. And Caitlin Fashista, thank you also. Thanks so much. This has been The Secrets of Middle Earth. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Raising the Bets. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S, bets.